Welcome to the roundtable on dog posts. Dean Leggy, Fletcher Page, Georgia with a, a 42-13 win over Kentucky on Saturday. Uh, Fletcher, Georgia did not start off so great. Let's focus on that for the time being. Then we'll get into what happened the rest of the game, as well as the upcoming fight against Georgia Tech. Okay, yeah. Did you? That was your cue to go. Oh, sorry, you didn't ask me a question. Oh, here. well, I mean, here's here, let me ask you this global question first, which is, are you and I focusing on the negative too much? <laughs> are you, well, you know, Georgia has beaten Kentucky <laughs> uh, 18 out of 20, and right. uh, what, seven or eight in a row since 2009. So, and, and then they, they basically routine them. Um, I, I was talking to some Kentucky reporters to, uh, today is Monday um, about the running into the or roughing the punter call that went against Kentucky, which really just, I mean, the game sort of completely turned then. And I think there was an argument uh, up here in Lexington that Kentucky was never going to win this game. Uh, Georgia was way too talented and just too physical. Um, but there's, there's still reasons why Kentucky, you know, just let it get away from them. I mean, I thought the first quarter was competitive for two reasons. Georgia had way too many penalties, and then they had the turnover. Um, so Kentucky, that running into the punter, though, I mean, Kentucky just couldn't – they could not overcome that mental mistake. It was basically a turnover when you run into the punter. And Georgia scored a touchdown very quickly after that, and it just felt like the game went from being kind of sloppy and contested to Georgia in a blowout. That's about right. And, I mean, you know, I, I didn't – you know, I think a lot of times people are just – you know, they want blood right from the beginning. And a lot of the kids have got it right. You know, these are competitive football games. Kentucky's the third best team in the East this year. And, uh, you know, it doesn't always go real smooth. With that said, one reason why it didn't go so smooth was, you know, the passing game was not crisp uh, at the beginning of that game. And uh, in order for this team to be better, uh, Jake Fromm, et cetera, not exclusively Jake, they've just got to play better. Now, this, this game, I think he made two rough decisions at the start of the game. But he's shown, generally speaking, that he can do what Georgia needs him to do. Uh, a lot of the time, though, the question, and I think this is a good question, and this is what was focused on by the CBS guys after the game was can he do what they need him to do against Auburn and Alabama. So far, he's not proven that he can. Um, but what my only counter to that is, you know, while acknowledging that Jake Fromm is not a um, um, – right now he's not a guy that you can say is going to go win you the game, he's also a guy that needs the rest of the offense to function. And if they do that, he is completely fine. If they don't do that, uh, you just have to know that he's limited and he can't save you. I think that this is not a Jake Fromm problem exclusively. Uh, the one time that Georgia really had trouble was against, um, was against Auburn and against a very good defense. Um, but – they're going to have to run the ball. I mean, and part of, and it all goes together. If you don't, you know, if you don't run well, you're not going to pass well. And uh, I think for Georgia, they need Fromm to play well, but that involves the rest of the offense playing well too. Thoughts? 
Well, there's a lot to break down there. I, just speaking real quickly, though, as it relates to this game, since I do have a little bit of insight into Kentucky, I, I still think Kentucky's the second-best team in the East um, by default. Uh, I guess that win uh, at South Carolina sort of decided that. So, um, Well, I, I have to say I think South Carolina is now a better team. Right now, but, yes. Correct. But, you know, you play games and like what said, happens it's sort of by default. matters. It's yeah. sort of by default. And so, I mean, Georgia basically routine the entire conference or the entire division, excuse me. Um, so that's a – here we are again, though, at this point where they, they haven't even been in a contested game, right, in, an SEC, in the SEC East. And we're sort of jumping to – it does feel a little negative. And I felt like I was a little negative, you know, last week maybe, uh, a little bit too much right after that Auburn game. But – I think that's because once you're in these discussions, when you're in the top eight, you're fighting for a playoff berth, and you know what's on the horizon in terms of it being Alabama or Auburn, and you're going to be right back into one of those games. I think it just sort of makes it, makes it by default. Uh, you start wondering, well, can Georgia do this? You know, What if they can't run the ball in that game? Can Jake Fromm do this? And so I, I guess that might be why we're jumping the conversation. I'll say this for Kentucky, though. they got a, they got a star in Benny Snell, but – their biggest issue has been the secondary. And so it was a little concerning, uh, or stopping the pass as a, as a defense. I think a lot of times we get too focused in on blaming corners or safeties. Um, but Kentucky had a very encouraging first two drives against the pass. Yes. And, you know, that's not a strength of theirs. They've struggled with that all season, as we've talked about. So I was surprised at that. I watched the first half. I did not watch the second half because I pretty much have seen this kind of played out when Kentucky gets punched like that or if they have a – if Kentucky shoots itself in the foot like they did, they just haven't been able to respond. They're, they're just not to that level as a program. So I did, I did turn it off, I'll admit. I don't know if the passing got better in the second half. I don't know if it needed to be because it looked like Nick Chubb was having a Southeastern Conference Player of the Week type performance. Huh. Yeah, he did. And uh... – I, I know next week we'll sort of focus on the co- the conference championship game, but um, it looked. I mean, there was a malaise in that crowd for about the first twenty minutes. Kentucky has, you know, for Kentucky, eventually you, you, you got to break through. I mean, it's you know they're building. They're they're they you know uh, Mike Stoops has done a good job there. Mark, but, yep, yep. Excuse me, Mark, Mike, Bob. Yeah, you you, got to break through and 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 win these types of games against uh, against uh, Georgia and Florida, who are the teams that you struggle with more than anybody else. But uh, Benny Snell is extremely good. I I don't know. I would have to write down everybody uh, in the league, but my my guess would be he's excuse me he would have to be in the top ten. I mean, I don't know how he's not in the top ten in the league, and he he could be maybe top five. I'm not sure, but not a lot of backs. I think two backs this season have had over 100 yards on Georgia. Benny Snell didn't have 100, but it was right on top of it. And um, he is extremely good. He had, uh, t- he had some tough yards. He definitely did. Nick Nick Chubb did too for a while there, believe it or not. But you know, the thing that separates Kentucky is uh, depth. You know, well, depth and and. Not a, a lot of playmaking ability. If right. you swap, if you swap the quarterbacks, the, I don't think the outcome is dramatically different, man. I mean, uh, 
Georgia would still win that game. I mean, Kentucky, when they've been extremely good, has had very good quarterbacks. We just talk about Andre Woodson. Obviously, everybody remembers the guys before him at the turn of the century with Tim Couch and and uh, the big guy. So they're, they've had really good guys. Kentucky just has got to break through. For Georgia, you know, everybody right now is out for blood. Everybody wants to get that taste out of our mouth from the Auburn game. I'm not sure if the fourth quarter did that for them, but it was magical going into the fourth quarter. I mean, the game was not decided, but – I mean, excuse me, the game was probably pretty well decided, but, you know, the only thing that's going to get that out of Georgia's mouth is winning in the conference championship game against Auburn. I mean, I think if you lose to Alabama, I think that would be a different thing, and that would that would remove it too, but – um, I think that that is that time you don't easily erase uh, big losses. Um, but Georgia, that I was in the press box. You know, I'm rarely in the press box. I'm usually on the field. And um, at the end of the game, I was sitting there next to Chris Stars, and uh, I, he was watching me try to finish up writing this story that I'd written about this senior class. The problem I had, Fletcher, was I couldn't come up with you know, the entire thing, because, um, we don't know what their legacy is. Their most important games are ahead of them. Even if they don't win the conference championship, these guys are going to be playing at least for, uh, an orange bowl, peach bowl or cotton bowl. That hasn't happened a ton at Georgia. It's happened over the last 20 years, but it's not, it's not an every season thing. So it's a big, big deal. Right. I think though that, I mean, I, I just feel like sometimes you get beat on the road in the conference. Uh, there was certainly a lot of that going on with the Auburn game. You talk, uh, Yeah, I was going to say, you're talking about the Auburn game? So Georgia responded, I think, in, in the affirmative, obviously. I mean, you, you, they routine Kentucky like they were supposed to. And now they're back. Now, they, now they're going to have to do the same against Georgia Tech because they have no margin for error. Uh, you know, it, the Auburn game, that's really all it did was it, it forced Georgia to where they, they couldn't have some stupid slip-up against teams that they should beat anyway, Kentucky and, and Georgia Tech. Um, so, you know, while, again, I'm going to keep probably an, annoying people by rehab, by keep saying this, but it is still concerning because you know that the, the, the way that Auburn beat Georgia or what they took away from Georgia, which was the run, and then that we've heard all season defenses that have chosen to talk out loud, or I'm sure what defenses are saying behind closed doors, is take away the run, make that passing game beat beat us. And against Auburn, it didn't. So, um, you know, there's only one way that that can be answered to, and that and that's in two weeks uh, when they when they're faced with the same sort of parameters. I need to know more about Wims, man. I, I had already moved on before he become a prominent name, but that guy's like the 50-50 ball king. And he's getting a lot of 50-50 balls thrown at him, too. And that's that's the criticism of Fromm, really. I think it's that is the most legitimate criticism of Fromm because now you're seeing people kill the kid. But um, I think the most – you know, he's got to progress. You know, he's got to get through his reads. And, uh, you know – I don't think he's wh- making that, that many reads per play. Well, here, here's the here's I the. I understand. I'm not. I think not you. Negative. I think you know. I think you know. You know which NFL guy I talked to, but one of them said to me, uh, not that long ago, they said, uh, you know, you, you can't back shoulder people to death. 
I mean, you're going to have to do something other than a back shoulder throw the whole, the whole time. So, um, but I, I think, you know, the other thing too, flashing back to the Auburn game was, uh, you know, if, if uh, I, I can't remember who it was that had that ball, but either Ridley or Wims, if you just catch that ball, you know, you're up 14 to six or 14 to three, whatever it was. So, um, you know, they got to, they got to, when people talk about execution, a lot of times it's just sort of a lame way to say, hey, we, we didn't play well, I guess. Right. But, but you really do have to catch balls. And against Georgia Tech, you have to play your gap. And you also have to, when they inevitably fumble, you have to jump on those too. So with Fromm, you know, they, they need to execute in the 15 to 24 passes that he has a game. They need to execute about 75% of the time. And the 25% that they don't execute those need to be livable non-executions. Those need to be balls that aren't, you know, drop touchdowns and so forth. The reason why uh, one of the smartest people that you and I know from the past, I mean, his point globally was the same as every coach that you hear. He's like, look, Georgia can beat anybody they play, uh, period. I mean, he's, he said, I don't care who they play, Auburn, Alabama, you know, he said, but, man, if we keep having these penalties, he said, they are killing them right now. And yeah. he said the turnovers, too. It's the penalties really more than anything else. Well, I mean, football's not hard, really, if you have. No, none of these games are hard. I mean, yesterday I was sitting there watching Georgia turn the ball more than over more than 20 times. And in basketball, they almost lost to Texas yeah. A&M Corpus Christi. I, well, mean, I, I've, I covered a Georgia basketball team that lost to Texas Corpus uh, Christi A&M or whatever they are. That was It was crazy. But, yeah, I think in football, you know, the 50-50 the ball thing is it's not really 50-50. And I'm not just talking about that route. I'm talking about the run game and everything. Georgia's really not been in 50-50 situations, but for, what, two times all season, really? Uh, Notre Dame at right. Notre Dame at Auburn? How do you, how do you mean? Well, when, whenever a, a, Georgia, a Georgia player is up against a, let's say, a Georgia wide receiver, traditionally and now, is faced, uh, facing a Kentucky uh, defensive back. That, to me, has not been a 50-50 matchup. It's been a 70-30 matchup for Georgia in Georgia's favor. I mean, we're talking about a, a, a program that they've beaten 18 out of 20. You know what I'm saying? So that's how the East has been. These are not 50-50 matchups for Georgia. They've, once they go to Auburn, though, now you're, now you're getting yourself into 50-50 matchups. And you're not winning as many of those ball. Those either they might be the the back shoulder throws you're talking about, or um, you're you're not you're not in second and four. You're in second and eight, and then you're not in third and one. You're on third and and five. So I think that I think that that, that to me is is uh, it's it's interesting the way that it's shaken out uh, the East being so down. Besides for Georgia, because again, like I said, you just have to we we had to kind of wait until that Auburn game after the Notre Dame game, because I thought Mississippi State might give them that chance. I know they're not in the East, but, man, that, that was an impressive win. And then really just sort of having to bide your time and just go, well, we'll have to see what they can do against Alabama or Auburn again, because they're, they're not really faced with a 50-50 situation against Kentucky or Georgia Tech in terms of talent, in terms of depth. So you're just sort of waiting. You're just going to have to wait and see see what if they've got the answers in the run game or if they can overcome third and third and medium, third and long in, in the passing attack. If that makes sense, does that make sense to you? What I'm saying? I, 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 well, yeah. I mean, you, but basically, what you're saying is 
the standard at Georgia as is, is, is this season changed. I mean, I don't know when it changed. I guess after Notre Dame, and pro- probably for sure after Mississippi State. But you know, sort of beating the brakes off of SEC East schools ain't going to cut it anymore. That's basically what you're saying. You're saying I'm not really impressed. I'm not going to be impressed with any well, type of. Yeah, play. I think if 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 you're throwing that ball up, and I think it's it's incredible. Well, are, are we only are we only talking about the balls? I'm just I talking about all matchups. But in, let's just use the 50-50 ball throw. When you're doing that against. Kentucky or uh, you know directional U or whoever it is and you're doing that it does look impressive and it's fine but it, it you always have to wonder well what's going to happen when you're faced with the best secondary in college football that is not it's not it's not who, as who, who is that Alabama um, okay. all, if all things are healthy so you know you understand that that's that's not really uh, maybe not necessarily the kind of plays that you want to have to get yourself facing. Um, in that kind of game, so they may, you know, they may match up better with Alabama than they do uh, Auburn. They might, and hey, I've seen, you know, Mike Williams at, with Clemson. He was just the best athlete on the field. Totally. I, I like that fifty-fifty ball against Alabama totally. there. So we'll see. I mean, like I said, it's not necessarily derogatory all the time. It's just that you know, it seems that um, that's been a that's sort of been the passing game's answer. And I, maybe I'm missing some things. You tell me. I mean, you're, you're talking, talking about 50-50 balls? They've thrown the ball what? up to Wims. They've just had better plays made. And, again, that works when you're facing inferior talent or depth. But you can't count on that when you get matched up with somebody that can. Well, I'll say, I'll say this. You know, last year against uh, Alabama, and in a lot of games that Clemson played, uh, you know, Mike Mike Williams, Deshaun had the ability, as good as Deshaun is, Deshaun still did have the ability to sort of throw it up there and let Mike Williams go get it. Um, and and so so I do I do think there is some um, there is something to having that on the side on your it's not really a sideline having that um, you know on your team I guess you could say yeah but. Um, I have two things to say about Jake Fromm, though. One, okay. I think that kid, I think that kid is tough as hell. Okay. You know, and two, and I maybe this is me projecting, but you know how like if, like, say somebody is going to be late to work today, and they say, "Well, I was early yesterday." Well, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you did yesterday if you were late earlier on time. What does that have to do with right now? And I feel like that Jake Fromm. I haven't. I have not seen him carry. It just seems like every rep, he's like locked in on that rep. There's no. He had a bad interception against Kentucky, and I didn't think he necessarily played well after that. But it just seems like he's just in that next rep. Whenever he's back out there, bad throw, he's back in there and right, right to back to action. Like I, and they'll cut to his face on the television. Obviously, I haven't seen him live. He just doesn't seem to be rattled or phased. And I think that's where a lot of people that have seen him play in high school. Uh, a lot of people that get to watch practice at Georgia, a lot of people watching Georgia, the kid has got whatever that is in terms of just sort of like, okay, uh, that just happened, and now I have this job to do now in the next 40 seconds, and I just move on. So I'm very impressed with the kid. A, to, that to that is a tremendous life skill to have. Certainly. That's kind of why I, I mean, brought up the job I, thing. But. I, don't know. I don't know that that many people. I, I, I'm not sure if I got that impression yet, but um, – 
but that is a tremendous life skill to have. And I think that um, if you can continue that as a quarterback or as a pitcher or as a tennis player or free throw shooter, yeah, I was just going to say free throw shooter. Then um, you know that's a positive thing. I try to teach that to my kids. It's, it's extremely difficult to teach, uh, you know, young children. I would say it's almost. I don't want to say impossible to teach college kids, but I just remember it's too late by then. Well, it's it's late. I just remember being in college playing, and uh, I mean, we played triple the amount of games that football does. But but either in tennis or in basketball. Uh, you know, the, in tennis, you're out there completely by yourself. You can't get picked up by anybody else. Basketball, someone can help you out. Um, in football, Jake Fromm can be um, helped out. And that that's my only thing here is trying to balance what is reality here. I mean, you've still got a kid who's a freshman playing, obviously, in some big moments. Uh, but, you know, if he's your best quarterback – uh, then there that comes with expectations. You can't talk. I mean, you can talk about him being a freshman, but Auburn and Alabama don't give a shit about him being a freshman. And for the record, Georgia Tech doesn't either. So yeah, well, to, do it. Well, to the to point. Like I, I, I think it, it. Everybody can be a little different. I think you can you can be kind of a Brett Favre type, or even Baker Mayfield, who's a little bit unhinged. Uh, you can ride that emotion, you know. Like if if something gets you, yeah, I'm, upset, I'm sorry. Did you just say Baker Mayfield was a little bit unhinged? Now, when you say a little bit, do, you, do you mean do you mean completely a crazy person? Yeah, uh, you know, he runs from the cops and uh, plants flags at midfield, and what he did on Saturday was entertaining. I'll say. Um, some people use that kind of thing. I personally, if I I myself have been emotional in the past and have tried to use that. In my, in the I know, in my profession, but I think if you could build the perfect quarterback, you know, you you see a guy get emotional and just go on a streak, or you see a guy throw an interception and it turn into five, like what happened to the Buffalo Bills quarterback on Sunday. That was that was sad, um, but it just seems like Jake Fromm has that ability where he can he can fist pump a touchdown and then he could be the holder on the PAT, or he could throw an interception and jerk his chin strap off, but. It just seems like he sort of has like, it's kind of like that thing where you say, okay, here's what just happened, good or bad. I'm going to give myself about three seconds and it's going to be either give a good fist pump or punch myself in the thigh pad and then that's it. I'm not, it doesn't matter now because I have a job to do, whether it be the next series or the next play or whatever it is. And I think that certainly the kids got that, certainly. Um, So uh, moving forward, I, I think he's like, an ideal college quarterback to build around for that reason and the fact that I've seen that kid get, man, that Auburn game really especially, he got rocked quite a few times. And, again, you couldn't really tell. The kid's just not – he just doesn't get rattled. That's not necessarily going to help him make a second read. I was going to say, that's good and everything, but he's got he's got he's to play a little bit better, man. I mean, he's just got to play a little bit better. Now, you know, now about six weeks ago maybe – he couldn't do any wrong. Um, right now, there's plenty of people doubting him. I, I would say this about Jake Fromm, and then we'll move on to Tech. Okay, that's, I kind of feel like we're talking about Jake Fromm a little too that's much. That's all we ever do is talk about consider, UGA quarterbacks. Uh, we don't. We didn't really last week. Uh, considering considering what his role is on this team, uh, he, he just needs to play well in the moments that they need him to play well. 
he can he can he can not play well in particular moments and they'll be okay. But when they really need him, uh, he needs to play well. And um, he got off to a rocky start against Kentucky. I actually thought one of the incomplete passes was completion. I have to say on the sideline over there. But um, anyway, I mean the mental the mental the mental toughness aspect of it. Uh, having that is a major um, step in the right direction for any athlete, period, slash human being. Um, but he is going to have to – I mean, I don't know how – a lot of people have said to me uh, he's not really going to develop physically the way that you you know would expect a, another guy to. I mean, he's just not going to. So, Are you talking about on an NFL spectrum or a, yes. Col- a Colt McCoy, Aaron Murray college and please do not compare him to Aaron Murray. He's not as good as Aaron Murray, and that well, I didn't, I, I'm not saying that. I'm just meaning in terms a lot of, of people are, and they need to kind of cut that out. I mean, Aaron, Aaron from day one was asked to do a lot. He had almost uh, 3,500 yards his first year at Man, Georgia. But he had redshirted. Okay, that doesn't matter. I mean, it, it matters. I mean, the he didn't have Nick Chubb, Sony Michelle. I mean, he had Caleb. And was Sean Ely? I mean, yeah, but, it, it just it just wasn't at all the same. Well, I just it, wonder if if you're grading what, what I meant by that. I'm not saying that just he, just straight up a better quarterback. Aaron is. I well, mean, I, I would, is one I would, of the best. I agree with that. Quarterbacks in SEC history. I, I mean, mean, I, I mean, think I, I, here hear my question before you answer it. Are you grading him to Matt Stafford, or are you grading him to? Um, Aaron Murray and David Green. Now we we understood that the, that David Green and Aaron Murray were limited in terms of uh, professional potential. Well, um, I think we knew day one that Matthew Stafford ba- essentially was going to be the number one overall pick. I mean, Mel Kiper said that when he was a high school senior. So you're, I, I'm just wondering if you're saying that he can't develop more. Are you speaking in terms of pro potential? Or are you speaking in terms of first of all? That's not what I'm necessarily saying. That's what a lot of people that I talk to say. Oh, okay. um, Aaron. I think that uh, AJ Fromm is a lot closer to the da- to David Green, and which is you know hardly bad um, in terms of skill set, but than than Aaron or you know whoever else. And and, and David was a third round draft pick. He got picked higher than uh, than Aaron did. Yeah. So so no, I I just think that um, yeah he's he's not got the upward trajectory that Jacob does or you know whoever. Um, Teddy, Teddy, what was the kid at Louisville? I can't believe I can't remember his name. Lamar um, Jackson. Lamar Jackson. Jeez, greatest almost players said, in almost, college football history. Almost said Teddy Bridgewater. Um, Him too, though. Well, he was good. Uh, I, I, I think you know what, man. It comes down to this: Jake Fromm should be the starter, considering everything right now. Jake Fromm should be the starter for four years at Georgia. The biggest success that he can enjoy physically is winning multiple national championships as the quarterback at Georgia. Okay. That's, that's the thing that he has the ability to do. And, uh, there's very few quarterbacks in college football history that have that chance. I mean, Deshaun Watson had that chance. He got one national championship, uh, Colt, uh, Vince young. He got one. Uh, you know, so, but Jake Fromm is Leinert. in the midst. Who? Leinert. Well, he won multiple ones, yeah. right? So, you know, 
that is the what he has the ability to do. And and you know, people say maybe not this year. Well, shit, maybe this year. We don't know, and uh, we can't know what the future will be. And but what I would say is that uh, he just. He just needs them to play well when he needs to play well. All right. I wish I could. I wish I could save two quotes there. We don't know what the future will be, and Georgia just needs them to play well when they need them to play well. well I'm sorry to be so basic, but would you would you rather me compare him to Aaron Murray because they wear the same jersey number? Well, that's not what I was saying. I think that no, that's what everybody else is saying. Well, it's crazy. Well, I do think when we talk about quarterbacks, let's just say you can give a one to ten rating for these two things. Okay. You can give between a one to ten. Pro potential and leader of college program. So you would give Jacob Eason what on pro potential? Very high, nine and a half. What would you give? What would you give Jake from? Four. All right. What would you give Jacob Eason on a leader of the program? I don't know. Six. What would you give Jake from? Six. I don't know. I'm just asking. I, mean, I, you, I have no, cover, I have no idea team. on that thing. Well, I just think that it's quarterback conversations. I think we talk about it so much because I mean, leader of the team, you really of the program. You either really think either of those guys was a leader of the program in either of these years. Asking, well, I, I don't. I don't I'm, think, cer- I'm certain Jacob Eason was not. I'm pretty certain that Jake Fromm is not. Well, that's what I'm saying. They're both not professional quarterbacks either, but we're still giving them a grade for it in this hypothetical conversation. So just because well, they're not. The only, the only difference I'm asking there, about their, their potential. Right. I, I, can, I can see both of them play football. I, I can't know, you know what they're doing uh, you know, on win- this Wednesday. You know? I don't know. So that, that's, that's harder to – that's a more difficult thing to be tangible about. And Aaron tried to lead too, and some guys wouldn't wouldn't follow at times. I think you know what I'm talking about. I mean, so well, there was a lot going on during that time period, as there always is. You know, I mean, we're dealing look seriously. We're dealing with 130. The leader, the leader of this program is Kirby Smart. That's true. Period. period I, at I, the I, end I, of, and and I would say I would put I would put a slew of guys in front of Jake Fromm. I this think you season. just start with Nick Chubb, and it just sort of works from there. But and so but now I agree. Yeah, I'll just stick with this. This kid has a chance to. I mean, this is not going to happen. This kid has a chance to lose one game in his college career. He, he still he has should, that chance. Yes, he should care or be sensitive about. Not that I think he is. He shouldn't. It shouldn't matter what people think about his uh, pro potential or anything. At the end of the day. He he. When they need him to hit a ball, you know he needs to right, hit it, right. and the receivers need to catch it. Okay, it's a two. It's you know it's there's multiple steps to the passing game, and only one of them is the quarterback. So, um, well, this will be a good things. transition to your Georgia Tech preview. Here is that you're right that he's he technically still has the chance to only lose one game in his career because moving forward, there's there might be one game, one or two games a season that Georgia will. Will even will will be an underdog in. If you look at where the East is currently in terms of the rest of the well, I, I mean, I can give you this. I mean, that next year you got to. I'm not even going to mention some of the best at South Carolina. Yeah. Mm. Don't waste Atmos- my t- don't waste my time going through this. Don't say an East. Missouri. No, listen to me. But look, Georgia got, will got not. Ex- Georgia will be the favorite in every game it plays against the East. Probably for the next two years at least, minimum. Well, maybe not at South Carolina, but ah. at LSU, 
and and uh, and Auburn at home. So you're I mean, looking yeah. at you're looking at one to two games, and I wouldn't even say two. I'd say one in the regular season. Well, and sure. and, and they, they were they were uh, they were they were favored in every game but one this year. That's what I'm saying. So, so they were favored in every game in 2015. <laughs> Well, that was, somebody made a big mistake in that game in October. They played against Alabama. All right, Georgia Tech next week. How big a deal growing up in the mountains was Tech Georgia? Yeah, it's a conversation I've had many times. I mean, Tennessee, when you go through a time period, I was a 90s kid. I mean, Florida was just dominating everybody. And then Tennessee was if, if you If you were a 90s kid, does that make me an 80s kid? I, I really consider myself more of a 90s kid, and you're ten year kid, and you're 10 years younger than me. So wh- I guess I was, where is the line on that one? I guess I was in I was in seventh grade when at the turn of the century. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a hybrid. Okay. But anyway, I was very young and impressionable when Florida and Tennessee were so great. But where I grew up, there was so much orange everywhere with Tennessee and Clemson. Um, obviously, Clemson not so much on the winning at the time, but Tennessee was very good. So, and Georgia Tech sort of had its little three-game uh, winning streak against Georgia in the late '90s, and Joe Hamilton was talk, the big talk then. But it was only a big deal if they lost. I know that mean doesn't. I know yeah, people say that all the time. That is no. That needs to be kind of filtered out and discussed, man. That's a good point. Yeah, it felt great. I think to beat. Um, Tennessee, but it really was terrible if you lost to Georgia Tech. So that's sort of the feeling that I that I always got um, from where I'm from, and I understand I'm from a northeast corner of the state, and it could be different with Auburn or South Carolina or Florida if you live in different area uh, different areas of the state. But I mean, well, you, I mean, I mean, you find having, out when you having having grown up. In uh, Atlanta, I don't right? Think you grew up. You grew up in Atlanta, so you know. Yeah, it's not real hard to figure out which game was the biggest game growing up. Um, you know, last year after Tech came back to beat Georgia, um, you know, Andrew Stevens, who's from Louisiana, was working for me at the time, and he he said, "I just don't, you know, I don't think this is a big deal." Well, I, I, I just took that after they I, lost. I took the microphone from him and was like, you don't know what you're talking about, man. You can't. I couldn't let him say that. I mean, that was insane. Well, I think that Paul Johnson kind of changed things, too, because if you remember, the rivalry, to me, even though Mark Rick just dominated it from the time he got there, there was a time period, though, when Chan Gailey had gotten Morgan Burnett and Josh Nesbitt and the Dwyer kid. Georgia recruited the hell out of those kids, oh, and totally. Georgia Tech beat them for them, and then Georgia Tech won that game um, in a way. And you're thinking, okay, this is a very serious issue if if you're starting to lose recruiting battles and you're losing the game. And that's what I think that's why Florida and Auburn and Tennessee, obviously you have conference implications, you have your heart and mind implications, but then if you throw in recruiting too, where, hey, you're recruiting this left tackle, and they are too, and you lose him, and you lose the game or you any of those kinds of things, that's when things get really heated. And I think Paul Johnson coming in, Georgia and Georgia Tech were very – I mean, when's the last time the Georgia Tech got a kid that Georgia really wanted? And don't give me any Brad Stewart BS. Well, that's your, that's your crusade. Um, I got no crusade there. 
I think maybe Calvin Johnson or Dwyer or Roddy Jones. I don't even That's know like if they twelve years Roddy ago. Jones. Oh no, they're not even in the same ballpark in terms of kids that are recruited. And hey, look, I mean, I mean, I mean this in the nicest way possible, and I think he would agree with me. But Paul Johnson's got a big fat mouth, and uh, <laughs> I mean, for all the jibber jabber that he's talked about recruiting and so forth, I mean, he needs to win this game. I mean, the, you know, you look, you go back and look at Paul Johnson's record at Georgia. First of all, that that also that also that also means that I, you know, I, I think Paul Johnson, excuse me for one second here. Got them kids going, man. I think I know where you're going. You can butt in on me whenever you're ready to talk again. Um, but to continue my point is that recruiting is obviously the game that never sleeps. So if you have to keep hearing about Tennessee recruiting the same quarterback as you or Florida, Auburn, and on and on and on in terms of these rivals. Georgia Tech's not really there, so you're not really fighting Tech in February like you are some of these other rivals. Correct. Not, not really fighting Tech through the spring at the Combines and not hearing about it. That doesn't, that doesn't make the game any less. It just sort of changes the intensity, I think, year-round. This is Tech's – I mean, excuse me, this is Paul's 10th season at Tech, and, I mean, it's been some serious ups and downs. I mean, they've gone to the Orange Bowl twice. They've won the conference once. They've won the Orange Bowl. If they don't win on Saturday, now there's no guarantee because they maybe could wiggle into a um, into the uh, a bowl game with a losing record. But they will finish their third regular season with a losing record. I mean, he's only beaten Georgia three times in his career. Right. And I mean that's and that's a huge deal at Tech. I cannot stress that enough. But oh, totally. I mean, you know, three of your two of your last three seasons losing seasons. I, I mean, even at Tech, that's not going to be that's not good enough. Right. Well, I, I can say that I certainly I I know that that my grandparents who were, you know, lived in Athens for a little for a time and were big Georgia fans. They, they, they dislike Georgia Tech more than any program. And then I think my parents uh, were more geared toward Florida, but also Georgia Tech. And so, um, you know, I was three years old when they won, when they supposedly won that national title in 90. So, you know, I, I, don't, I just don't really remember. I, I can't vividly remember. You know, I can remember Joe. Um, I, can, I can tell you what 1990 was like. I can tell you very clearly what it was like. I can tell you what it was like before that. I mean, I'll tell you, here, here's how it worked when I was growing up. Uh, so I was born in 1977, and in, um, in 1983 or 4, I went to McClendon Elementary School in Decatur, Georgia. Man. And uh, Georgia Tech adopted our school. And Ooh. so... So y'all were the Yellow Jackets? Uh, no, we actually were the McClendon War Eagles, but that's okay. It's another story for another day, I guess. Um, but anyway, at McClendon, uh, they were trying to identify. So anyway, let me just. So Tech comes in. They've uh, they've uh, they've uh, they've adopted the school. It's probably Tech was probably maybe ten minutes from McClendon, something like that. And um, 
they came in and Buzz comes in, is putting you know his head over teachers' heads and stuff. There were a lot of Georgia people at that school, and um, and, and you know t- what Tech was trying to do was be involved in the community and all this stuff, but um, uh, this did not go over very well with my family. So um, it, we were, I was probably in third or fourth grade, whatever it was. And uh, my parents were divorced by then, needless to say, like, my, like no, most normal people. Uh, how, did, how did that make you feel, Dean? <laughs> Thankful. <laughs> <laughs> Two Christmases. Yeah, I know. I know. Anyway, um, so here comes Tech, and they they are identifying troubled youths. Oh, boy. At at Linden Elementary School. (laughs) And uh, one of them they identified was me. And the only reason they identified me was because, why? My parents were divorced. Uh, and they wanted to give me a date. I think I even met some guy that was supposed to like be the person that sort of, you know, was helping me because I didn't have a dad. My father could not have been more pissed off in, in multiple ways. I mean, obviously, not obviously he was a professor at Georgia at the time. And, uh, so I don't think he liked that to begin with, but he was furious with them that, uh, they thought that his son needed some sort of help. And I think, I, I, I don't know when he said this to my mother, but I don't, or maybe he just said it to me, but he said, my son's already got a dad, you know? And so that pissed him off pretty good. So he went from not really giving a shit, I think, to being pretty pissed off with Georgia Tech. <laughs> Cause I mean, obviously he didn't. He, and maybe that's not obvious either, but he didn't grow up in Georgia. He didn't really care. But uh, I think after that, that kind of ruined him. But I, I can tell you right now, and I'm sure you don't have any stories like that, do you? <laughs> no, I certainly do not. <laughs> I can I can assure you, though, that uh, I would never approach um, a, the kid of a man with the mustache your father has and try to get in on that territory. I could tell right away that your dad was a, a strong figure by the way he had that mustache rocking. I ain't trying to mess with that. It's, uh, it's, um, so, it's, so Georgia Tech sort of uppity. And it's still rocking. Yeah. I say that right Georgia, now. So, so uppity Georgia Tech kind of sweeping through the neighborhoods of, uh, uh, of, of, the, of, of Atlanta to try to help these troubled He's, youth. Such they as were yourself. trying to help out some kids in East Atlanta. And uh, anyway, fast forward to 1990 and uh, at Tucker High School. Back then, we went to high school in eighth grade, which what, I don't know what that's about. But um, Jesus. Yeah. So you're at Tucker, and um, uh, that year, Tech wins the national championship, shares the national championship. And, um, you know, that was 1990, so we were in eighth grade. And, uh, is, that the I, same I year, is that the same year you tried to tackle Patrick Pass? No, Pat was. He's a little well, bit older. Pat's only a year younger than oh, us. Younger. Uh, no, that my my not, my not day, physically. My, <laughs> my days of uh, tackling ended in 1992, I think it was, or 1993, whatever it was. Uh, and it was it was Pat or Vince Griffin. I can't remember. I can't remember who, but the story is better with Pat because he's won a Super Bowl. Um, anyway, tell uh, <laughs> it with Pat. <laughs> um, anyway, so 1990 and. Uh, you got you got nineteen. I'm sorry, I muted myself for no reason there. 
1990, uh, you got Tech uh, winning the national championship. So I don't think half of Tucker High School liked Tech, but I think a solid portion did. And a lot of them were bandwagon people. And it was, it was uh, needless to say, quite annoying. But then uh, right after that, you know, probably two years later, the Hope Scholarship had come about. And, um, you know, then nobody I, – I remember counting on my hands. It was, uh, it was uh, Vance, uh, Vance and I would go to games all the time. His parents were great. Uh, we would go to take Georgia games in Atlanta. Uh, and Vance Wilder, and then Dirk Harloff, Chad Miller, and Brian Holmes. Those were the only Tech fans at Tucker High School. There might have been a couple of others, but I don't think so. And so, but see, the thing was, everything changed. Everybody wanted to go to Georgia after the Hope Scholarship, and uh, it became very, you know. So suddenly, everybody was a bunch of Georgia people uh, at Tucker, which was kind of interesting. With uh, there were only a few Georgia people from the beginning. I guess you could say, and um, I don't know, man. It was, uh, it was it was it was rocking times in Atlanta, and then you know Tech just kind of disappeared. They took the national championship and uh, recruited a class that wound up going one in ten in uh, in two thousand. Oh, what was that? Nineteen ninety three or four. So didn't do much with that title. I'll say that. And then you know the Cannon Partman kick, the uh, the the alleged push off which was not a push-off in 1997. There's a lot of memories with Tech in Georgia, in Atlanta for sure, and some in Athens. Well, I think to me, to, to really feel the rivalry, I really think you got to go back to like the uh, – I really, really think you got to go back to like the 50s because it's just like a Game of Thrones character now to me. You, you have a, a character in Georgia history, you know, Theron Sapp. His nickname is the Drought Breaker. I mean, that's like some sort of like – Middle age nickname or something. The drought breaker comes through. You know, Georgia had lost what eight in a row in the rivalry. They retired Sapp's number because he scored the game's only touchdown in '57. That's I mean, how that much is... the game meant. Is that a guy got his number retired just for getting in the end zone once? And uh, and what was probably the biggest game some of those people saw in that decade to them. I mean, you totally, got, yeah, totally different feel and time, right? Yeah, and I mean, the, the way you get Georgia's so stingy about these things. The, they, the way you get your number retired is you have to be the greatest player in college football to get your number retired at Georgia. It's Herschel, huh. it's Sinkwich who won Heisman's, and then Charlie Trippy who was robbed of the Heisman in whatever nineteen fifty something forty six. Trippy got robbed. So you got three of the greatest players to ever play college football right there with Lamar Jackson and Darren Sapp just because of that touchdown in a game against Georgia Tech. I mean, that speaks to how much it meant during those times, uh, the 50s. That's incredible to me. It guys, that, people call that guy the drought breaker for the rest of his life. How awesome is that? And Aaron Murray is beating the Gators three years in a row. He's just kind of looking around going, wait a second. Yeah, they gave my number to Jake Fromm. <laughs> <laughs> And Keon Brown, what is this? Yeah, that's not cool, man. <laughs> Connor Norman. Connor Norman, man, he busting it out. Um, it's a fa- It's you know, I wrote about this when Georgia won their 800th game as a as a as a program. Um, uh, it, you know, usually South Carolina is in the in the summer, but 
you know, you can you can feel the the year go by the team and the colors that you see in the stands. And it's it's I always think of the rivalries that are played this weekend. I know Tech Georgia does not even come close to a lot of these, but I have to say that the colors in the in the crowd it looks good together. Like when you see Clemson and South Carolina, you're like, God, that's hard to work. Like Garnet. Those, those are Garnet and, and, and orange. That just does. And that's the same thing at, uh, that's the same thing at, um, that's the same thing at, uh, at, Oh, where, who is the Gators and Knowles? It's the same. It just looks bad. Generally speaking. I want to go on a side rant. I know, I know we're going to wind it down, but I got a side rant. Okay. I don't understand why Georgia doesn't have a, not a retired number, but kind of like a, sort of like what North Carolina basketball does. Kentucky does it up here in basketball too, where you don't retire the number, but you put the number up so in the rafters or maybe somewhere in Sanford Stadium. Like if, I feel like if somebody came here from, let's just say Russia and they didn't know what college football was and they came to Georgia a, it would be they'd be hard pressed to find out anything about Herschel Walker if the wind wasn't blowing in Sanford Stadium, which you know has been a constant rant for me for years. Yeah, but I Are think there right? should be a section where you see Champ Bailey, Hans Ward, David Pollock, on and on and on. There should be like a tiered system. Like, okay, here's how you get your number retired at Georgia: you have to win the Heisman, or you have to be the AP Player of the Year. Okay, that's that's a steadfast rule. If you if you do one of those two things. You get your number retired, like Deshaun Watson at Clemson. That should happen. That should be a rule at Georgia. Okay, I would, I would, I don't know how Deshaun Watson's number would not be. They should rename a stadium for him, or one of those buildings that's named for racist white people. Um, they they un they un that's good. Did a retired number just so he could pl- be number four. Well, whatever you got to do in recruiting, that's what you got to do. But I think that now, if you are a first team All American though, or if you win the Thorpe Award or whatever the Paul Horning Award, looking at you, Brandon Boykin, you should have a, <laughs> you, there, it should be a second tier, you know, like maybe a, a um, one of the concrete sidings of, of Sanford Stadium above a, a, the 200 level or something where you get a prominent spot where you are a legend. Okay, you, maybe you're not retired, but you're a legend. You know what I'm saying? Like, well, I don't understand why, man, how cool would that be? You'd like to see Champ Bailey's name? I'm going to put it to you this way. You know, Georgia Tech, I think, won the Rose Bowl or played in the Rose Bowl, maybe. Their practice field is Rose Bowl, Rose Bowl field. Now, that's, wow. that's, that's pushing it about as far as you can go. Um, and, you know, at Georgia, Georgia's got to embrace, and I've talked to Claude about this privately, I mean, but Georgia, when they get a new athletic director, Georgia really does need to recognize all of its national championships in football. Because they need everybody, to count them, yeah. Because everybody else does. Put that and in the media guide. I, totally. I mean, they are completely legitimate national championships, except the 19, I would say except 1968. But, shit, Alabama counts one or two where they didn't even win their bowl game. I mean, I just, you know, it, it's time to start, uh, it's time to start, um, being, I don't know. I mean, I, I just think they, they, they've got to recognize how great the, the institution is. And, and, uh, part of that is, um, is, is, is recognizing national championships. I mean, 
I guess play players as well. I mean, Champ is going to be a Hall of Fame NFL player, and he doesn't even have. I mean, he was a hell of a player at Georgia. You Let know? me tell you the only way. David Pollock, David Pollock, to me, a lot. I know a lot of people. I guess he rubs him the wrong way, but David Pollock is close to a guy that should be. He should have his number retired. I mean, he's about as close as it's gotten lately here. I mean, he was a hell of a player at Georgia. Yeah, the 47 probably shouldn't have been worn again. I think Andrew Williams gave a lot of effort on special teams. but He did. He's but, from Blairsville, you know. Georgia. Hey, uh, it's it's just it's, it's underwhelming to me uh, that Vince Dooley's statue is a mile from the stadium, basically. Um, <sighs> yeah, but, that's ridiculous. I mean, are you going to do it or not? I mean, right. that's, that's, you know, I that, don't know. So they had a Herschel statue made, right? Or is that... I don't I read, know. I read about that. Question. Some guy made a Herschel statue, but I don't know where it's at. That like okay, so I'm I'm here in Lexington, and it's also it's also a little strange. I gotta say, it's also a little strange to make statues of people who are alive. Just generally speaking, there's a statue of Nick Saban at Bryant Denny. I'm just talking, you know, because there's a rule: if you win a championship at Alabama, you get a statue. That's it. That's the rules. Rules. Let's do that. I mean, no, no. Why do we no, got to talk about it? If you're at George, why well, there's. It, well, what I'm saying is, the rule you know, do it. There's, there's no President Bush statue or President Clinton statue. You I know? can't confirm like, you that. Kinda, huh? There might be somewhere in Arkansas a statue of President Bill Clinton. You, you, you need to hold off until people pass away. But I don't know, man. I think, what, what are they doing? Putting Vince's in a corner. Uh, it's too cool. They're trying to I, I be don't, too cool. I don't know. Because they, well, was... they wanted to make a garden out of it because he's got the green thumb. And it is nice looking. But people, the only way you can see it is if you're zooming down Lumpkin and, and you're not texting while you're driving. You can look over there and see Vince on somebody's shoulders. I, mean, I don't even think Tech has Bobby Dodd up. No, they did name the stadium after him. Well, you know, still, you get my point. It's There's no statue. And, and, Georgia is far too cool on a lot of different levels. And one of the things that will, I'm not saying never happen, but it's going to be hard for me to believe, is that they put a statue of anybody up anywhere. I mean, Dominique isn't getting a statue, statue Alec Kessler. I mean, there's not going to be anybody that gets statues anywhere. Well, it's I think so. I think people Mati- really. Matias Boker, I mean, he was a hell of a tennis player, man. They're just not going to do it. I think, though, people really get into these things like. I think the Dooley statue is beautiful and the garden's beautiful, but that should be on the corner of Sanford. There is an area in Butts Mere, which I'm sure that it might change a hundred times now that they're renovating every day. There's a place where you can read where every offensive, defensive, special teams captain that Georgia's ever had, dating back to when they first started etching these things into stone. Um, they have every record that Georgia has in terms of interceptions, um, touchdown passes, blah, blah, blah. All that stuff is in, and there's there's the Heisman Trophy. There's all David Pollock's accomplishments, but it's like it's all tucked in this room on the second or third floor of Butts Mere. Both Heisman trophies are there. Excuse me, I'm not trying to slight you, Mr. Sinkwich, and it just seems like it's it's not prominently displayed, and I feel like more people should get to take all that in. I mean, fans are all about that kind of stuff. It's really neat, you know, when you look back at. You know, all those kinds of things. So, that's always been my rant. Have I done that on this podcast before? I bet I have. I can't remember. But it's really cool. Like, if 
when I when I you and I went to the Dean Dome together to watch North Carolina play a game one time when we watched Keith Marshall commit to Georgia. It's really cool when you look up in there and you say, "Oh wow, you know Anton Jamison and Vince Carter and Ed Coda," and it's you're just reading all these names off. And you're there was time where I was I probably missed like five minutes of the game because I'm looking up in the stands at all this essentially memories. So you know, and Kentucky does that here in basketball. So. I think that Georgia needs to dedicate a section of Sanford where they do stuff like that. I mean, they bury the dogs there. I mean, you would think that. Uh, I don't know. Hey, maybe I'm saying. Hey, listen, I don't know how it's going to play when they move into their new locker room. Maybe they've got all that stuff for the recruits. I maybe. can assure you, Kirby has thought about it. Well, he would know more than anybody because I'm sure he is as steeped in that kind of. It's it's just a weird feeling. It's like it almost places you. Like if you went to school when Noshawn Moreno was the running back, like you think of that era in a, in a different way than you would if you were eight years old going to your first game with your dad and Mike Bobo was the quarterback. Like it changes sort of the way that that the feeling of that team, that person, that player, that era is to you. And uh, I'm sure Kirby's thought about that more than anybody. Well, um, we got look. We didn't talk a lot about tech. We'll, we'll wrap. Tech what else next is new? Week. Well, it's a big game for George. Got to win this game, clearly. Can't lose for a lot game. Of, That's it. Can't, Don't got to win it. Just can't lose it. You cannot lose this game. Uh, I've said that every single time I've covered them, and they've lost. But uh, it's a really important game. Uh, the only thing that gets a coach fired at Georgia, or at least what's gotten the last few fired at Georgia, is losing Georgia Tech a few too many times. So a uh, big, important game for this program. Uh, Fletcher, we will catch you next week on the roundtable here on Dog Post. Enjoyed it.